Good morning, everybody. <laughs> um, so I'm going to give uh, my best effort at trying to weave something together that I've just been meditating on um, for the past few weeks. I've actually spoken a bit about it already um, in the last week or two when I've, when I've shared some things after the message, but um, just continues to persist with me, um, and it's probably because I need to settle it more for myself, but um, if you'll bear with me, I didn't have a whole lot of time for preparation, but um, I'm hoping the Lord will just guide me and give us uh, some clarity. So, the first, it's a, there's a couple of, of concepts that I'm trying to drive home this morning. The first one, um, you don't have to turn there, but in Psalm 130, there's a verse that says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. And I think... You know, to wrap your mind around what that's saying, why would we fear God? Because there is forgiveness with Him. And I read not long ago, there was a, 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 a quote by a man, and I can't remember, John Sevier or something like that, I think. I'm not sure who that is, but um, he said that the fear of God isn't really to be afraid of Him as much as it's to be afraid to be without Him. And I thought that that was an incredibly um, clear understanding of, I think, of, of how we should fear God. You know, when we stop looking at the goodness of God, all of His mercy, His long-suffering, His forbearance, all that he's done to plan through the ages to bring us who sit here today to salvation. First um, John, you know, where it talks about God is love. It, it, it comes into crystal view when we observe in our minds and recall all the things that God has, has done. And so that that's the first thing I just wanted us to sort of in on and to, and to carry with us through the message. Um, and then the second thing is, and I've said this before, that God, you know, is asking us to live our lives intentionally. He's asking for us to be thinking men and women, not to be driven and tossed to and fro by every wind and every wave letting it carry us wherever it wants to. He wants us to be anchored in truth. And so often in this life, we tend to, um, and I can speak from my own experience, we tend to want peace more than we want truth. And there is no real peace without truth. It's a false notion that we can obtain peace without truth. But we oftentimes will reason in our own minds about how we can sort of have what we want and still honor God. 
it's a very slippery place to spend time. Um, and so I, I, with that, I just wanted to open up with uh, the, the verse in Hebrews 2. And again, don't turn there. We're going to turn to, to another chapter shortly. But it says, two one says, Therefore we must give them more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. And throughout the Bible, there's been a lot of examples of people who have drifted away. Who have not paid attention and who have been deceived and lured and tempted into places that they would not ever have wanted to go had they stayed focused on the Lord and walking in his his truth and kept his truth at the forefront of their minds rather than um, allowing the wanderings of our own meditations to take us to places that 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 provide pleasure for the flesh or fulfill desires that we have in an earthly way so <clears throat> that being said i just want us now to turn to first samuel chapter 15 which is where we just were not a week ago or so with ron um and it's talking about the story of saul when god commanded him to um, to destroy the Amalekites. And we're familiar pretty much with, with what he had said. You know, he wanted him to destroy everything from man, women, you know, children, infants, um, all the way down to animals and, and stock, livestock, etc. Um, Someone a long time ago said to me that it would be good to look at this as a foreshadow of, of an important truth. And that is that that is the way that God wants us to deal with sin in our life. And it was an example um, of how sin can then come back if you don't deal with it harshly enough. And give it, give it life and allow it to, you know, even if you chop it off at the, at the ground level the root system will grow back if you don't harshly deal with it and go down and dig it up and really make sure it's utterly destroyed. And um, so with that said, let's take a look. Um, I'm going to read from verse uh, 16 through 23. Then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said, and he said to him, Speak on. So Samuel said, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil? and do evil in the sight of the Lord. And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me, and brought back Agag the king of, of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took the plunder, the sheep, the oxen, the best of things, which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said to him, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices 
is in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, it is better to obey. To obey, excuse me, is better than sacrifice, and to feed than the fat of the rams. For rebellion is as the, the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as the iniquity, is as iniquity and idolatry. So we see that you know Samuel. You know, like like many of us, you know, started out serving the Lord. He was, as God pointed out um, to, to Samuel, um, Saul, I'm saying is, like many of us, um, he pointed out to Samuel that, you know, when he was little in his own eyes, he was still king over Israel. He had authority, but he recognized you know that God was God and he was but man and he, he was humble in, in his approach at some point in this particular story and then beyond he began looking at his own glory and desiring to, to experience that instead of honoring God first and so all that he knew of God he began to drift away from like Hebrews says and when the people began crying out for, you know, for the, the plunder and, um, you know, back in the day, I think Ron had mentioned this not long ago, that it was, uh, it was the practice of kings when you, when you um, conquered another uh, kingdom to, to take their king captive and to bring him back and then to, you know, hang him or... or behead him or whatever in front of the people and hang his body up and show your people that you've conquered and people would celebrate and and you know gl give glory to the to the king who, who conquered and so Saul began to lust for these things you can see that his mind began to shift and he began to look at what glory he could receive out of this and that's why he didn't require of the people what God had commanded him to the fullest. He did a good portion of it as he cries to, out to Saul, I mean to Samuel, saying, I did obey the voice of the Lord. I, I utterly destroyed the Amalekites. He did. He didn't leave any of the people alive. But they took all the best of the, the, stock, the livestock and everything, and um, that was plunder, and that was making the people of, the, of his kingdom richer, and they were happy, so they were you know, wanting to, to, you know, glorify him for that process. And so, obviously God says that we should worship no other God. You know, he's a jealous God. And when we look at this, I, I just wanted to sort of tie what I opened up with, you know, about, you know, not, the fear of God being fearing or being afraid of being without him because he's so good you know that's that's what should drive us um and you know for Saul he drifted away from that he drifted away from how much the love of God and the and the blessing of God was already with him and he wasn't content with just that he wanted to have his own 
So that was the, the mistake that he, that he obviously made, is to esteem himself better than what God, better than God, better than God's way and his direction. Um, the next verse um, I thought was interesting, verse 19. He says, why then did you not obey the voice? Why did you swoop down on the spoil? And I, I just want to invite all of us here to sort of try to recall in your own walk with the Lord how something has come across your path that has gotten your attention, that is something that you really wanted. Um, it excited you, it titillated your flesh maybe, it caused you to, you know, really lose sight in that moment of the truth, which is what God requires and that God may have been saying and has said, that's not acceptable. You're not to take part in things like that. You're not to cross that line. And yet, we want it so bad, you know, it could be money, we could decide to defraud the government and not pay our taxes and make an excuse in our mind and why we want, we need more money, you know, we, we want to do this, we want to do that, with, and we don't have it, so we're going to seize on it in that moment. There's many different things that have presented themselves, I think, to all of us that, you know, and Satan is very good at studying us um, and knowing where we are by looking at our countenance, if we're, if we're right for, for, you know, wanting to reason with him instead of with God and find a way to, to get what we want instead of to honor God. And he'll bring those things across our path in the right time when we're weak sometimes to really challenge us. And the question is, what do we love more in that moment? Do we love God? Do we love the peace that comes with knowing that we're right with God? That we are walking with God? That we haven't left God? Departed from Him? Or do we sort of make excuses like Saul did in that moment and, and say, you know what, I've, I've, I'm going to do the most of what God wants, but this one little thing I'm going to take. You know, when we do that, we cross a line and we find that it starts to cascade after that. And that's one thing Satan doesn't tell us in advance. He doesn't tell us that when we cross that line, it starts to fall apart. And, and we start to open ourselves up for more and more and more. And we reason with ourselves and say, oh, that's stupid. I'll just do it this once. I'm not going to do it again. But it weakens our resolve. And when we weaken our resolve to God, Satan pounces. And that's what he's good at so we have to be aware of these things you know and not drift from these truths because when we do temptation will rush in and um will be the worst for it we have um i made a note we have countless stories in the bible of men who did this especially kings <laughs> um and 
it, it just went horribly for them afterwards. Their kingdoms, you know, didn't serve God. They raised up altars to worship other gods. Before you know it, they were marrying people who were not of the kingdom of God. And, and um, you know, the, the rebellion and the disobedience just continued to grow and grow until, you know, God's... Uh, you know, wrath or God's, you know, um, discipline had to come down in a harsh way. Um, we see it, obviously, the, one of the most famous ones is with, with David. You know, he he had everything God had given him. He, he loved God. He wanted peace with God. But in that moment when he viewed Bathsheba bathing on the roof, he, had, he was in a weak place. Don't know what had happened. He doesn't talk to us about exactly what his mindset was. But we see that he made a crucial decision in that moment to send for her. And it just got horrifically worse, step by step by step, until he actually, you know, had her husband killed, you know. And then beyond that, in finding godly sorrow that led him to repentance, there was still punishment, there was still judgment that God brought. He lost his son. His son was taken from him, you know. So... There's so many things that Satan, again, doesn't tell us in that moment when he's trying to capture us and say, oh, this is fine, it'll be fine, it'll be good, you'll be able to get right back to, you know, serving God after this, but just take this moment, you deserve it. If you've been under a lot of pressure, you've been this, that, you know, and when we start to reason with him instead of with God, we, we are in serious trouble. Um... Verse 20 and 21, we read, and it says, And Saul said to Samuel, But I have, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. And he, and he you know, said he did all those things. What we find is that Saul was trying to reason against God here. And he was actually doing what we're very familiar with in our day today, which is to redefine what you know, God says. When we want to sin, we will find, we will try to find these loopholes. And, you know, we see that in our, in our world today more than ever. I mean, in, in this country alone, but around the world. But you look at the, the, the black and white concrete issues that have always been in place with God. That no one, no no professing Christian has ever challenged, has ever said is wrong, and that there's a different way, or this is a gray area with God that's not as you know final as as you're saying. Like you know, a boy can be a girl, a girl can be a boy. I mean, all these different things are being redefined in our culture. In the in the face of impending destruction, God says that that you know the the um, I'm sorry, I just lost my train of thought here. But uh, can't find where I was. But he, you know, he tells us that the the. The penalty of our sins is death. You know, we're not gonna, we're not gonna, you know, be able to turn something good out of something bad. And yet, our our world is telling us that we can do that. We can redefine what God has 
put in place in a concrete way. Um, so he then goes on, Samuel says in, in verse 23, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. And there it is, you know, we have to look at this in a way that sees the love of God in why he doesn't want us to just keep trying to, you know, bargain with him to sin. He knows that if we do that, that we're going to be destroyed, that he's going to have to bring that final judgment on us. And he tells us um, that he wants us to turn from our evil ways. Um, second, uh, I'm sorry, First John, I'm sorry, first, Second Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, but is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So, you know, he, his desire for us is to be able to save us, to bring us to heaven, to live with him eternally, to, to just lavish us with all the gifts that he has planned for his own son, because now we are his children. But if we continue on a path that tries to bargain and pretend and redefine and all those things, we're going to end up destroyed and in hell and suffering for eternity. So why does God not delight in them because he doesn't delight in our in us perishing so if we if we look at the totality of who god is that he is love this message doesn't seem nearly as harsh as as you know i think satan would like to have us believe it is you know so many people stumble over you know passages like this where god commanded you know, to just utterly destroy everything and everybody and not have no mercy on them. But to understand that these were people who were, you know, wicked and who, who were not going to turn and who, you know, God was trying to save his people from, from meshing with and joining in with um, and, 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 you know, missing out on the promises he had made to them. So, again, you know, when we look at God, uh, it's just really important that we look at, at in the totality of who he is and, and not be persuaded away from the fullness of his character when we, when we try to interpret these things. Um, the last thing I just have, it's, I don't have a whole lot, lot more to say, but in, in 2 Chronicles 7.14, we're all familiar with this passage. Um, he says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and hear, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And when I look at that, the, that verse that I, I mean, the part of the verse that I emphasize, and turn from their wicked ways, you know, I think that we can define, define wicked ways, you know, is the part of us that would be willful in rebellion, willful 
in our disobedience. That's wicked. When we make a mistake or we fall prey to, you know, temptation and we are, you know, heartily, sorrowfully, you know, sorrowful before God. That's something God delights in. That we turn and we ask forgiveness and we know that forgiveness is 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 full and generous with him then we're really understanding who he is and he, he's happy about that but when we continue as Saul showed us that he did you know he continued long after that turning his heart away from from God and you know, continuing to, you know, seek after murdering David so he didn't become king because God had taken the kingdom away from him and given it to David. You know, and he ended up, you know, all, him and his three sons all died in the same day. You know, and I don't, I, I don't know the mind of God on, on how he has dealt with him, but... I know that it's not anywhere we would want to be. We, you know, to be, the thought of being separated from God eternally should absolutely scare us to death. And that's what the fear of God is about. It's about realizing how great abundance of love He has for us that was from the beginning and that will never end. He will always have this love for us that will want to give us the best that he has of his kingdom of his of his generosity but make no mistake about it you know the the penalty and judgment is coming upon the sons of disobedience he doesn't want us to be among them and so you know we we need to take heed to the first verse i opened up with in hebrews 2 and and you know be intentional about the way we live about the way we think not allowing thoughts that are uh, contrary to our Father to ever have place, to cast them out, to rebuke them, and to cast them out immediately, to not give them a chance to start to take root and to grow up, because that's protecting our future with God. That's protecting the, the amazing gift He's given us of eternal life. And we will be so gratefully thankful that we will bow down and worship him for eternity when we get there to see how he has orchestrated so many things in each of our lives to to continue to show us i was sharing with my daughter in the last couple of days you know um just the, the amazing amount of things that god has displayed for us in this world to prove to us that he loves us and I think that sometimes we just walk past them with our eyes closed. But if we would open our eyes more and take note of the things he's displayed in his creation and, and shows us the, the kindness and the goodness that he has for us through all of them, that, you know, it'll, it'll draw us nearer to him. It'll cause us to want to stick closer to him. It'll cause us to want to know him better. And in doing so, we will stay focused on the things he's asked us not to do so that he can maintain that protective cover over each one of us who he calls his, his children. So that's, that's what I have. <clears throat>
about a year ago, Kate bought me a, a devotional book by Andrew Murray, his famous preacher, South African preacher, uh, from the late 1800s, early 1900s. And uh, <clears throat> today, I don't read it that often because I just don't have time to sometimes, but I, I actually picked it up this morning. And he was talking about, among Christians, a lax attitude towards sin. And it's interesting that what he was reading and, and teaching on today had was following a lot of the points that he had made. Um, I remember last week, um, Ben brought up a verse from Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are come the issues that spring forth the issues of life. And um, so I was thinking this morning, as Dave was speaking, about King Saul. And from the outward appearance, some of the things that David did were as, as serious or worse than what Saul did. But the difference was not so much on outward performance. The difference was in the heart. And so you see that the importance of the heart of the matter and why Jesus said our hearts need to be converted. We must become like little children. We must be born of the Spirit. And it says to give all diligence. You know, to watch the issues of our heart. Do we have instructions like that in the New Testament? We'll look at that in a few minutes. But if I were to look at Dave was bringing up Saul today. There's a couple of indicators something was going wrong with Saul before this whole thing that happened, this whole debacle with the Amalekites, was that you see that when he first became king, he was very shy. And when he was called to be presented before all of Israel, he was hiding amongst the baggage. But then, after his defeat of the Amalekites, he defeated the Amalekites... Uh, before the part that they've read, it says that um, he was making a monument to himself. Mm. <clears throat> Not so shy anymore. Not so humble anymore. And that's why you hear what they've read about, you know, when you're humble and you're an You know, not anymore, because now you're making, you know, a monument or a statue, whatever it was, you know. So this was a different Saul. The part of Saul had changed. He had, he had gone astray. And so... We want to go to uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15. Bear with my frog movies today. Try to get through this. Matthew 15. I'm going to call on you again to start in verses 1 to 20. Okay. <clears throat> then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered and said to them, 
Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father and mother, him, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God. Then he need not honor his father and mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard that saying? But, but he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Then Peter answered and said to him, Explain this parable to us. So Jesus said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. There's a couple things that stand out to you in this passage. And um, the first is, Jesus refers to the prophet Isaiah in this passage, where he says, these people draw near to me with their mouth, honor me with their lips, their heart is far from me, and they worship me in vain. So are they worshiping the wrong God? No. God of Israel, I mean, is the right God, but... But he said they were worshiping him in vain. There's people who worship God in vain. They draw near to God with their mouth. And honor him with their lips. The heart is not right. The heart is not in the right place. So we could say, well, well, we better fix our heart. But we know, again, as we were talking, that there's only way that one way the heart can be fixed. And Jesus said, unless your hearts be converted, unless we are born again, unless we are born of the Spirit, unless we are transferred from darkness into light, there is no way we'll enter the kingdom of God. And so, when we read this here, we see people of religion. A religion about a true God, but not, not a true religion. As we read them from the word term from the book of James. Because there is religious duty, there is self-effort, self-righteousness, all the things that look good 
from the outward appearance and thought would impress God. But he said, there's something wrong in all of this. And as we've said before, the heart is the heart of the matter. And that doesn't mean the things that we do on the outside don't matter. But what it means is they must start from the right place. He says, Jesus teaches us here. You know, I, I grew up in a house where the saying was, cleanliness was next to godliness. I was so glad as a young bachelor when I became a believer that that wasn't in the Bible. And I read through the whole Bible and it wasn't in there because my, my apartment was a train wreck. <laughs> so, uh, but what I found out was just that what Jesus said was that the inside must first be cleansed and then behold, all things become clean to us. And that that is the true essence of conversion. Is that that's what it means really to come to Jesus and to be saved is to have an inward transformation from darkness into light, from the from the kingdom of the of Satan to the kingdom of God, to be transferred from one kingdom to the other, to come under the influence of the Holy Spirit and to be led by the Holy Spirit, and to follow the voice of the Lord Jesus. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. And as you see here, he says, you know, if you eat dirty hands, it's not going to matter. Me, it may affect your health a little bit. But as far as the Pharisees were concerned about it being spiritually defiling, and Jesus says, no, nah, there's things that you, you, if you don't watch with dirty hands, it's not going to affect you spiritually. You might get a little sick or something, you know, you might get dysentery or whatever, but, you know, how can it affect you spiritually? And his disciples came to him later, Dave Herbie chuckled when he was reading it, because it just sounds funny, because his disciples came to him and said, do you know that they were offended when you said that? Like, like you know, Jesus would really be concerned and worried about them saying that, because they were concerned. You know, you offended them. Jesus said, don't worry about that. The blind leaders of the blind. And he says, it's not what we put into our mouth that defiles us. He says, what comes out of our mouth? He says, the things that come out of our mouth come from the inside of us. They come from our heart. So if we're speaking things that are corrupt, immoral, ungodly, sinful, things that are not of faith, Things that are careless and reckless. Having an unchristlike attitude. It tells us that there's something wrong inside. Now we may truly be converted and doing things like this. And this is an indication to us that we're not following the leading of the Holy Spirit. We're walking in the flesh. We don't please God that way. And so, when Ben was reading that proverb last week, it really spoke about the diligence by which we have to guard our heart. 
And like I said earlier, is there instructions like that in the New Testament? And there is. And so, remember what Jesus said here before we go there. It says, but those things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. And they defile the man. If we're defiled on the inside, if we're not converted on the inside, or if we're listening to the flesh, to the old man, if we're carnally minded, it says, we have no peace. It says it leads to death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So we have to listen and to guard our heart. Where does it say that? In Philippians chapter 4. As we're turning to Philippians chapter 4, another thought from Andrew Murray says, we would take a more serious attitude about sin as Christians if we would look at the attitude that God has towards sin and all of his holiness and what he, his judgment against sin and what he did to rescue us from sin. The great painstaking um, <clears throat> process that he went through to deliver mankind from sin. That we wouldn't be so careless about it and just blase or, you know, numb about it. Jesus spoke of his disciples and he said that they were, what was the word, numb? There's a word like that. I don't know exactly Philippians 4, even beginning with verse 4 and to verse 9. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I would say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue and if, any, if there is anything praiseworthy, Meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Peace of God. God lays out a plan for the Christian, us who are in Christ, of how to keep the peace of God in our hearts. So that we'll be at peace with God. And he tells us where to put our minds, what to think upon. He says not to give in to anxiety. He says but to pray and to give thanks to God and worship. And to let a request be made known to God. The response of faith to the word of God about our situations. We'll bring priests to us. We'll guard our hearts and minds. The enemy, as Dave mentioned this morning, is out to destroy that peace. Is out to wreck our testimony. 
Is that to bring us confusion? It's not God's way. And he gives us, lays out a plan to guard our hearts and minds. So there it is in the New Testament, talking about the guarding of our hearts and minds and how it's done. The leading of the Holy Spirit as we go through life and guarding our hearts and minds. He's laying out a plan for us to lead us and to follow his leading. It says, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, that surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Having peace in our hearts with God. To be convinced of his love for us. To begin convinced of his help and his promises of help and guidance to us. Because though you don't believe those things, well, the peace that we want eludes us. And so, here we are, it says, well, God's putting something upon me. Well, that's right. We have an obligation as a Christian. To walk after the Spirit, it says in the book of Romans. And so, here we are, being challenged by the Holy Spirit. To bring our mind into the right place. Not our own strength, not our own power, but the power that's given to us by the Spirit of God to those of us who are in Christ. The tools, the power... Everything, the, the plan is all laid out to us and revealed to us through His Holy Spirit and His Word. Now, follow me. Jesus said, follow me. He who follows me will not be in darkness. We will have the peace of God as we follow Him in our hearts. And it will guard our hearts and minds. So it will guard our hearts and minds from what? we've been talking about confusion um, anxiety it's not to be anxious about nothing is that possible not to be anxious about nothing well the thing is is that when we feel anxious or fearful or all the other things of our carnal nature it's important that we don't just sit on our hands about it that we respond, we take action. Because we're in a war, brothers and sisters. A war against spirits, against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. To rob our peace, to get us off course in any way you can. To, to damage our testimony. To render us ineffective as a witness for Christ. To keep us humiliated in our troubles and in our in our struggles to really pin us down in our fox in a foxhole but that's not what God has called us to do and he's not called us to be that he's called us to be warriors for Christ 
And when we say <laughs> warriors for Christ, we don't mean we mean with guns and knives and all that stuff. We mean spiritual warriors. And as we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not, are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Do you look at things according to the outward appearance? If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ, let him again consider this in himself, that just as he is Christ, even so we are Christ. In this passage, a very powerful passage, which also, again, connects with what we read in Philippians 4. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We don't walk according to the flesh, and the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Of course, as I said earlier, not guns and bombs and tanks and all that stuff. That's for the people of the world. For the people of God, he says, we have a different arsenal. And it is a spiritual arsenal. And he says... The things, the, uh, the equipment, how we are equipped by the Holy Spirit gives us the ability, it says, to cast down imagination or arguments. It says here, but imaginations in the King James Version. And everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, against the Word of God. Everything we know about God. That we, we've heard from His Word. Everything God has revealed to us from His Word. He says, and bringing every, every thought captive to obeying Christ. He read the words, all diligence, every thought, captive to obeying Christ. Be able to take our thoughts prisoner. is something that is supernatural. To be able to discern between flesh and spirit, the voice of God, the voice of the enemy, the voice of our human nature, the voice of the world that we've been programmed with, to be able to discern the voices. We have been given the weaponry through the Holy Spirit to be discerning these things and to make the right choice. And to have the power to bring every thought prisoner to obeying Jesus Christ. 
Dave talked about taking a severe attitude towards sin. Well, here you see the severity of that attitude. That it's not just our outward performance that people can see, but the issues of the heart which God can see. Because it's talking about how we're thinking, our mindset, the attitude of our heart, and the obligation of the Christian to not just drift along and just let and be a filter from everything the world and the devil throws us and let whatever sticks sticks and you know and this is the way I am and this is the way the world is the way people in the churches do it now and this is a tradition what is the spirit of God teaching us from his word what is the spirit of God leading us everyday life and and to not just be accepting or careless about what's going on in our minds and in our hearts. We read from the book of Proverbs, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. It's different versions say it slightly differently. Because if we're being accepting of a little bit of bad in our hearts, Believe me when, you know, we talk about personal experience. I think all of us know that, you know, if we just leave a little bit out there, that's just bait for the enemy. Just get, get in the door to start weaving his web of deceit and to make a bigger, a bigger web and a bigger web. And before we know it, we're in the wrong place. We're doing the wrong thing. We're not just thinking the wrong thing. If we're thinking the wrong things, eventually we're going to be doing the wrong things. And the severity of it all is to bring every thought captive to obeying Christ. Not some, not just the most important, but every thought. So was that possible? Well, when we're in a war, we can't win by having our arms up in the air. And having our backs to our enemies. We gotta fight. And that's what this is talking about is a war. The weapons of our warfare. That means there's a war. That means when we read that we do not struggle against flesh and blood, but against spirits and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. This is real. People laugh about it all the time. The people that laugh about this and don't take it seriously, they're already under Satan's control. They don't even know it, love. Most of them don't even know it, that they're being influenced by the devil. But when we take seriously what it says to bring every thought captive to obeying Christ, the severeness of it is, when I say severe, what I mean by that is the seriousness. And the seriousness of, of, of the change of life that's needed to be able to walk as a victorious Christian and not get beaten down. And at the end of this, I had Dave read verse 7, because the first part of it says, do you look at things according to our appearance? And that's the opposite of bringing every thought captive to obeying Christ. Because 
we in Christendom, and we who are Christians, can do that very easily. All it has to do is start listening to flesh. Just being influenced by the world. Listening to the whisperings of the enemy. And before you know it, you twist it up like a pretzel. Well, looks like I put Pop to sleep over here. <laughs> Just kidding. That's okay. He's sitting in chair and I go to sleep. All right. Um, so anyway, all right, we'll, we'll hold that. So anyway, um, so what we have here, again, is a plan laid out for us. It doesn't say what the weapons of the Holy Spirit are here. Some of them are mentioned in Ephesians chapter 6. But if we're not experiencing a victorious Christian life, and if we're not being victorious and on top of things, and, and we're, we're a mess, we, our, our Christian life isn't what is, we're reading about here. If we could just sum it down to its purest truth, we're not following the leading of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, walk in the Spirit. And you will not fulfill the desires of the sinful nature. He's writing it to the church of Galatia. He's writing it to Christians. And he also says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So, it makes it very clear that we can live in the Spirit and walk in the flesh. It's a bad place to be. We all know that. We've all experienced that. But there's good news. We don't have to be there. We don't have to be beaten down by our circumstances and by the enemy and by the world around us and all of its influences and our domestic problems and our um, business problems and our financial problems. We don't have to be beaten down by all those things. But sometimes we are, aren't we? We're going to be honest. Sometimes we are. But we don't have to be. So why am I then? It's very simple. We're not listening to God. We're not following His instructions, which is the leading of the Holy Spirit here. So, my throat's about done, so I'm going to let Ben, if you want to comment on that, brother, and uh, or to Josiah or anybody else, Justin, uh, any guys have a thought on this? <laughs>